Welcome to the Cancer Care Connect Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the workshop, please press star, then zero, on your touch, phone, on your touch tone telephone. As a reminder, this workshop is being recorded. I would like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Mesner, Senior Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Emma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's workshop for caregivers coping with your loved one's metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And today's program is part two of living with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And today's program is made possible by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation an educational grant from Daiichi Sankyo, a grant from Genentech, and an independent grant from Merck and Company, Inc. I want to thank them all for their support to this program, and I also want to particularly thank our partner organization, the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, and you'll be hearing more later on in the program about the foundation and all the work that it does for both people living with triple negative breast cancer and their caregivers as well, um, all the different services they offer. And I would like to acknowledge that we have over 200 participants on today's call, and you come from all over the United States, from both urban, rural, and frontier communities. Um, and we also have international participants from Canada, Colombia, Ireland, Iraq, Mauritius, Nigeria, South Africa, and the United Kingdom. So it's a global call as well. And it's a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. And now it's my great pleasure to introduce our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Marcella Mazzo. Dr. Mazzo is Assistant Professor of Medicine, Division of Hematology Oncology, Breast Medical Oncology, UT Health San Antonio Mays Cancer Center. And Dr. Mazzo will be addressing overview of metastatic triple negative breast cancer in the context of COVID, Omicron, and seasonal flu, the important role of the caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and in decision-making, and caregiving for your loved one with metastatic triple negative breast cancer. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Mazo. Dr. Mesner, thank you so much. What a pleasure to be here with all of you today. Uh, so I'm gonna start our conversation by kind of uh, explaining what is triple negative breast cancer. So triple negative breast cancer is a form of breast cancer which characteristic basically is the lack of sensitivity to hormones and is also a type of cancer that is negative for something that we call HER2, H-E-R2. This is uh, usually an aggressive form of breast cancer that is not very common, and we tend to see it across all group ages from very young to even older patients as well. So just like hormone receptor or HER2-positive breast cancer, triple negative breast cancer is usually diagnosed through mammography. So after they do a mammography on you, if they identify an abnormality, they will proceed with a biopsy, and the biopsy will be the one that will show you if, uh, if it's a triple negative breast cancer or other type of breast cancer. So when it's in the early stages, triple negative breast cancer is usually treated with a combination of chemotherapy, surgery, and radiation. However, when it's in the metastatic setting, treatment will be a little bit different. 
What metastatic triple negative breast cancer means is that the cancer has left uh, the breast and has sent seeds or metastatic cells into other organs outside of the breast. This could be, for example, the bones, the lungs, the liver, and the brain, for example. Usually when triple negative breast cancer is diagnosed as metastatic, we resource to use systemic therapy to treat the cancer. The systemic therapy will circulate to the entire bloodstream, and the purpose of this therapy is to attack the breast cancer cells wherever they are. A lot of my patients ask me why they didn't do surgery in my breast if I have metastatic triple negative breast cancer. And the best answer that I can give you is that since the breast, although sometimes can cause discomfort, you know, usually is not a vital organ, we focus the treatment on attacking the cancer cells in the areas where it could be potentially dangerous, just such as the ones that I mentioned a moment ago. I'm happy to report that in the triple negative breast cancer arena, we have made progress in the last few years, and we have newer treatments that are available to us. Just to mention some, uh, for about a year now, now, we've been approved by the FDA to use immunotherapy or immune checkpoint inhibitors combined with chemotherapy for the treatment of triple negative breast cancer. We also have the use of another medication called sazituzumab, which is an antibody drug conjugate, which is a very special type of chemotherapy that delivers the uh, active molecule right next to the cancer cell to attack it. And we also have the resource of using a type of medication called PARP inhibitor, which is something that is useful in patients that have a BRCA1 or BRCA2 mutation. And we have two medications within that class. However, as you all know, COVID-19 pandemic delayed the breast cancer screening for a lot of people. So as a result of that, we are seeing now more advanced triple negative breast cancer compared to a few years back. It's very important, and I stress this a lot to my patients, since the basis of the treatment for triple negative breast cancer involves the use of chemotherapy or medications that could potentially affect your immunity. It's very important that you get your vaccines, both for COVID-19 and for flu. So I'm gonna focus myself about talking about COVID-19 vaccines first. So the COVID-19 vaccine is recommended for patients that are on active chemotherapy. Right now, as you may have heard in the news, we have a bivalent, a bivalent COVID-19 vaccine that basically gives us a better coverage for Omicron and lower types of COVID-19. The recommended series right now is at least three shots with the addition of an extra bivalent shot for COVID-19 protection. Thankfully, COVID-19 numbers continue to decrease in our country, uh, but we still are seeing active disease. As far as flu goes, so as the winter comes into the United States and other parts of the world, we are seeing more activity uh, from flu virus, and the cases have increased significantly in the past few weeks. We are seeing already some mortality with uh, the flu. So it's very important to remind our patients 
that the flu vaccine is necessary, especially in those that are older than 65 years old. So I get the question a lot uh, to see if it's safe to give the COVID-19 vaccine and the flu vaccine at the same time. And it's safe and it has been studied, so it's perfectly fine to go ahead and get the COVID-19 vaccine and the flu vaccine at the same time. Patients that are on chemotherapy or any form of cancer-directed therapy have a higher risk of complications uh, due to COVID-19 or flu infection. So I invite all patients that are eligible to get the vaccine. And of course, if there's any questions or any doubts, to talk to their doctor and answer those questions. I'm going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about the importance of a caregiver in communicating with the healthcare team and decision making. So, the caregiver is a fundamental part of the team when it comes to addressing uh, the, the cancer uh, treatment for, for our patients. Caregivers have different uh, functions that they do. They can serve as our home health aide. They can help with feeding, dressing, and sometimes cleaning our patients. And their communication with the care team is essential to take good care of those patients. Uh, it is important to ask the questions when you don't understand something. It is important to keep track of the symptoms that the patient is experiencing at home. It is important to set expectations with the treating provider to make that communication a two-way street and make it effective. As a caregiver, uh, I usually tell my, my caregivers that they should try to live their lives as normal as possible and encourage the patient to share feelings and to support them, uh, to let them know that they're not alone, but knowing that sometimes it's you know, important not to press the issue and sometimes understanding that you know, people, especially cancer patients, can communicate in different ways. It is important sometimes to give space and to give privacy. It is important also as a caregiver to give yourself the time to take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of your job. So you get those kind of little spaces in which you are by yourself and you can, in a way, uh, re uh, recharge your batteries. Uh, there are some uh, support uh, groups for caregivers that will help them to, you know, have uh, answered their questions, have support, or even, you know, to get tips into how to coordinate cancer care better. And uh, I'm sure we're going to touch on those uh, at the, as we go through the, through the program today. Uh, I just want you to know that if you're, if you're a caregiver, your role is extremely important and you're a vital part of the, of the patient's care team. You, what you do makes a complete difference and it makes the treatment for the patient so much smoother for them and for us as their doctors as well, because we see you as a bridge to communicate and as a bridge to help the patient as much as possible. And uh, Dr. Messner, that was kind of my overview. I'm happy to hand it over to you again. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Nessa. That was really outstanding, a really stellar presentation, and you really set the stage for today's program, um, identifying a lot of the topics that we'll be further explicating, but you really did want, do a wonderful job, and, and uh, thank you so much for, for your presentation. I know the other questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Guadalupe Palos. Dr. Palos 
is really her own healthcare team. She's both a doctor of public health, a, a social worker, and a, and, a, and a nurse. So she's really covers all those different disciplines herself. She's former clinical protocol administration manager, Office of Cancer Survivorship, the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center, author and researcher in caregiving, healthcare disparities, and survivorship. And Dr. Palos will be addressing taking on the role of caregiving, what research tells us about caregivers, coping with each day on special occasions and birthdays, managing family and friends, um, also coping with holidays, and self-care and stress management tips to manage the stress of caregiving. It's my great pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Palos. Thank you, Dr. Messner. It's a distinct honor and pleasure to be a part of this esteemed faculty panel today. So where do we begin this part of the session? Well, let me start with this question. Who is a caregiver? The narrow definition of a caregiver can be pretty straightforward. If a person gives care, that person is a caregiver. And according to the Institute of Medicine, family members, friends, and other unpaid caregivers are the backbone for much of the care provided to cancer patients in the United States. Yet their role as informal caregivers or family caregivers is often underappreciated, and many family caregivers support the patients at a high cost to their own physical, emotional, and financial well-being. So what does the research tell us about caregivers' well-being? Today, caregiver research is a hot topic because of the following facts. One, the number of caregivers in the United States continues to increase, not only in cancer, but in other chronic diseases that cause physical or mental limitations, as well as in our elder care or the care of our aging um, parents or grandparents. Secondly, an abundance of research notes that family caregivers experience a significant burden in providing care to patients with specific illnesses, including cancer, mental health, Parkinson's disease, or even dementia. Third, research also suggests that caregivers often ignore their own health. For example, caregivers report having poor to fair health, not going to the doctor as often as they should, skipping doctor's appointments for themselves, having poor eating or exercise habits than before they became a caregiver. Despite these facts, though, our healthcare systems often overlook our caregivers' roles and their needs. That can have lasting and long-term health effects for both patients and caregivers. There's also a growing body of research that focuses on an outcome called caregiver burden. This condition can be defined as the level of multifaceted strain perceived by the caregiver from caring for a family member and a loved one over time. Caregiver burden can lead to poor physical and mental well-being, not only in the caregiver, but also on the patient. It can cause uh, and lead to, a, it can cause like a domino effect. It can lead to depression, anxiety, worry, loneliness. And they can also then, as a result of this, the uh, caregiver can have fatigue, sleep impairment, and other unhealthy behaviors such as we spoke about. The combination of all of these things then can also cause a decline in immunity in the caregiver and can be associated with the onset of diseases in the caregiver themselves. However, research also indicates there are positive aspects of caregiving. A recent survey found that 83% of caregivers viewed themselves viewed caregiving as a positive experience. 
Many family caregivers report positive experiences such as giving back to someone who cared for them, experiencing personal growth, and having an increased meaning and purpose in life. Some caregivers felt that they're modeling caregiver and hopefully that would help their children to be more likely to care for them or others if necessary. Caregivers also, or caregiving, brings great satisfaction, can strengthen relationships, thus enhancing the caregiver's quality of life. It is encouraging to note that despite the high rates of symptom burden or caregiver burden, caregivers also demonstrate optimism, resilience, and a positive outlook in the face of a cancer diagnosis. The fast-approaching Thanksgiving holidays, and even other significant milestones such as birthdays, can raise our awareness of the challenges and opportunities available to patients, caregivers, and their families. And now I'd like to share a few of those strategies uh, with our callers and our audience. Let's begin by discussing ways to manage the chaos associated with these particular times. One helpful strategy is to develop a special occasion preparedness plan. This plan would be similar to a hurricane preparedness plan, and it would map out the details of how to prepare for those special events. The plan would also allow caregivers to make some trade-offs in their roles when caring for a loved one during these special times. And that would be especially if they live far away from the caregiver, which uh, we'll hear more about uh, later in this program. So here are a few tips that may be included in your plan and will help you to be proactive and prepared. Determine what can be realistically done. That's a, a main factor there. Create a stable and realistic role. You can create new uh, traditions for these occasions. Instead of large uh, family or group gatherings, you may consider making a point of having smaller gatherings so your loved one can have a good time and maybe not feel as fatigued um, or, or alone. Sometimes they don't they kind of sit on the periphery and don't get involved in other discussions. If your loved one is restricted to one area, make that area the focal point of the celebration so they may feel more in, included in the event. You can decorate that area or um, put up cards, whatever it is that, that you think that person would like. If your home is a gathering place for all celebrations, ask others to host the event. For example, the next generation can uh, host the event and divide the responsibilities such as planning the menu, preparing the food, and even cleaning up. These moments are perfect times to bring out the old videos or photos of previous celebrations. You may also wish to do some storytelling about the good old times. This is a great way to include children, adolescents, and adults. Everyone has a special memory of a treasured holiday. You can use social media. Uh, you'll hear more about telemedicine, but in this instance, you could send out invitations or share live moments via FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, or other similar tools. Caregivers and patients are increasingly using apps and web-based uh, programs as communication tools. Finally, and most importantly, keep tabs on your own physical and mental health. Remember, caregiver burden stems from ignoring physical symptoms such as fatigue, interrupted sleep, weight gain or loss, or even increased colds and infections. A caregiver may experience anger, frustration, anxiety, or sadness which may fluctuate depending on the status of your loved one throughout their experience. And that's normal. A word of, of caution, caregiver burden occurs when you're in a state of stress or distress for a prolonged period of time. The combination of stress, burnout, and all the multiple roles can also lead to the abuse of alcohol or other substances. 
So it's good for you to uh, take care of yourself. It is critical to give yourself permission to grieve, cry, and express your feelings. And to begin, continue, or at least try some uh, new strategies such as meditation, yoga, listening to music, or practicing deep breathing or mindfulness, as some uh, people call it, to relax. Journaling is something you can begin. Nothing fancy, just jotting down your thoughts or feelings. Joining a support group in person or online. Take time for yourself, even a quick walk around your home or neighborhood. Play a game of golf, jog, or even take a swim. Water can be very soothing to some individuals. And when needed, seek professional help from services, such as those that will be discussed later in the session. Remind yourself, as a caregiver and the person that you care for, will both reap the benefits of a healthy caregiver. So in closing, I would like to remind all of our callers that November is Family Caregivers Month. So take a moment to celebrate you as a caregiver. So my colleagues and I look forward to hearing from you and the suggestions you may take for caregivers and those they care for. Thank you for allowing me to share these thoughts with you. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Palos. That was really wonderful. It was a beautiful presentation. And, and actually, um, and November is a National Caregiving Month, and thank you for um, acknowledging that and so for all of our caregivers to recognize that this month and this month we're doing this program is um, is a special time for all of you. It's a special time for you throughout the year. So we hope that this will linger with you. And this is a program that you can listen to over and over again um, for support as well, um, because it does get, um, once the program occurs within a couple of days, it becomes, it's archived on our website and you'll be able to listen to it. Um, so thank you, thank you so much. Um, and I know there'll be questions for you, um, Dr. Palos, um, during the Q&A, there always are. And I also like your suggestion that during the Q&A, everyone can either ask a question or you can provide a tip that works for you um, that you'd like to share with others. Thank you. And our next speaker is Dr. Stuart Fleischman. Dr. Fleischman is former founding director, Cancer Support Services, Continuum Cancer Centers of New York, author and researcher in oncology. And Dr. Fleischman will address challenges in communicating with the healthcare team and guidelines to prepare for telehealth, telemedicine appointments, including technology, prepared list of questions, and discussion of 2021 CARES Act. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Fleischman. Thank you, Dr. Messner, and thank everybody who signed on to this call. Uh, the topics I want to address today deal with the newest technological advances. We could probably figure out if these are good advances or bad advances or both in uh, using uh, electronics or telehealth for some of our visits with our providers, not just with doctors, but also with advanced practice nurses and um, physicians assistants and nutritionists and physical therapists and the all, social workers, the variety of all of the people that make up the uh, modern cancer care treatment team. So during the pandemic, the world uh, switched rather quickly to using devices to communicate for some of our visits. And those include a standard telephone, a wireless telephone or a mobile phone uh, on voice only, uh, using some of the 
um, video platforms, if your cell phone has the capacity to sign on to the internet, which is more than uh, some folks have, which is just having a phone that has voice and text only. And uh, through those video platforms, often uh, visits have been uh, conducted. There are certain specialized platforms or systems that are connected to the electronic medical record of the providers that you see that also may uh, have the capacity to give uh, telehealth visits. So if you're going to have a visit with your provider or any of the other members of the team on the, on the phone or on a device, make sure there are a number of things you really need to think of in advance. Number one, Make sure the device is plugged in and is fully charged, or if it's rechargeable, to recharge it in advance. Uh, often if this is your first time having a telehealth visit on any of the types of devices, someone from the provider's office should be calling you a day before to just go over the, how do you connect? Do they call you? Do you call them? How you sign in? If there are any passwords necessary to protect privacy and confidentiality. Think about the setting that you're going to be uh, having your visits. Is it a quiet place? Is it a place with a plug? Is it a place with enough light? Uh, those things really count when having a telehealth appointment. Prepare questions in advance. We generally advise that for any kind of visit, whether it's in the office or on a device. But this, it's even more important to do it on a device because you're dealing with the de device and the connectivity, and sometimes um, you need a, a list to remind uh, yourself of the questions that need to be asked. Uh, often patients would bring a trusted family member or friend to take notes during a call. Um, this is one of the advantages of telehealth that we've discovered in that the trusted family member or friend does not, not need to be in the same room or the same city or the same country, but can be anywhere in the world where there's, an in, there's internet access and they have permission to join the call. That can be helpful for people whose uh, most trusted uh, scribe or most, most trusted uh, accompanist to the visit live in a far off place. It saves them from traveling to your appointment. Uh, sometimes it helps to even go over the questions with them in, in advance so that they can remind you if there's something that you haven't gotten to in the call. Um, it, it's a sort of a new thing for the providers as well as uh, patients and families. So there are sometimes some discomfort, sometimes some glitches, but as we get used to these uh, visits, they're, they're really helping quite a bit. Um, the other thing you need to really focus on is um, if there's any kind of physical exam or there are some things that can be done over, the, over a device or over the phone and there are some things that can't and telehealth, even in any modality, whether it's video or audio only, doesn't work for everything. And many times those visits are just a prelude to having a visit in person but it can, they can be very, very helpful. The other thing I'd like to address since we're talking about the electronic medical record is to make sure that we use these records properly. 
There is a new law in the United States that was uh, called the CARE Act of 2021. It was part of our health privacy laws. And because the technology has been changing so much, it's been postponed and postponed. And it finally went into effect in 2021. And that means that those of us who were signed into our electronic medical record as patients, we can see reports of all of our lab uh, tests our x-rays or imaging, sonograms, CAT scans, PET scans, MRIs, even pathology reports that are posted right onto the electronic medical record for us to read. For those of us who uh, have not been medically trained and especially trained in cancer because it's uh, rather complicated to read these reports, Please, uh, if you read them, don't jump to any conclusions. It's very easy to see an abnormal finding and be very panicky about it. But through treatment, let's say, we expect that some of the findings may be abnormal and should be abnormal. And if they're not abnormal, um, that's an issue that the care team needs to address. Uh, there are many words, there's a lot of lingo, a lot of jargon. So it would be best if someone from your provider's office can review these with you, whether it's over the phone or on the device or in person. But if you do read them on your own, and our, our uh, first, first idea is to get the results as quickly as possible, to just make sure that you understand what you're reading and do not jump to any conclusions because it is very easy to do so, um, especially on complicated things like PET scans and pathology reports. So just be aware that you should uh, refer the questions back to the team that knows you. Um, it's sometimes tempting to have uh, anyone who we know uh, who may be in the medical field to try to um, evaluate these tests and kind of explain them. But cancer is one of those subspecialties that really requires expertise in oncology. So just make sure that you're getting the information from your providers and you can ask questions. So we have really jumped into the new technological world rather fast, somewhat unprepared. And uh, we hope that this information can help uh, everybody make as uh, the best use of it possible. And with that, I'll return the call to Dr. Messner. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. That was an outstanding presentation, um, Stellar, and a lot of wonderful information. I know there'll be always questions for you during the Q&A, so thank you so much. And um, our next speaker is Ms. Haley Dinnerman. And Ms. Dinnerman is a lawyer, and she's co-founder and executive director of the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Um, and they are a partner organization on today's program. And as many of you have noticed, we have done a number of programs, many, many programs on triple negative breast cancer. There are more to come. And to some extent, um, it's really a credit to Ms. Dinneman and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. Ms. Dinneman will be addressing Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free programs and will review her, the helpline and website. It's my pleasure now to turn this program to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Dinneman. Thank you so much, Dr. Messner, for that kind introduction. Thank you also to my fellow speakers for the excellent presentations, to our sponsors, and of course, to all of you listening today. Today's teleconference is one of many programs offered by the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation. All our programming is specifically designed to address the needs of the triple negative community from patients to survivors and, of course, caregivers. Today, I'd like to highlight a few of our offerings. First, we have many TNBC-specific educational brochures and fact sheets that are available in print or also as free downloads on our website. 
Our popular material, materials were developed with input from members of our TNBC community, as well as esteemed medical experts in the area of TNBC. Like all of our other educational materials, these brochures have special sections addressing issues of particular interest to women living with metastatic TNBC, which are important to both patients and to their caregivers. We also offer educational materials that address topics of interest to certain groups within our TNBC community, including those with BRCA mutations, those with early stage diagnoses, and African-American women. We basically work hard to make sure that every single member of our TNBC community can find relevant information and practical guidance in all our materials, so I hope you'll use them to your benefit. Our website, tnbcfoundation.org, offers two free and TNBC-specific clinical trials matching services, and we're told they are much easier to navigate than other portals. One is specific to clinical trials for metastatic disease, and because we know that many caregivers play a major role in researching and finding clinical trials, I wanted to point out this valuable resource to you. Our website also has a constantly updated TNBC news section, and a favorite of our community are online discussion forums. The forums, as well as our two private TNBC Foundation Facebook groups, allow you to easily connect with other caregivers, as well as with thousands of women who are living with triple negative breast cancer any time of the day or night. Our community members use the forums and our private Facebook groups to ask questions about treatment, about how to manage side effects, and so much more. But most importantly, our online forums and groups offer consistent support. We have many caregivers connecting on these platforms, so if you need support, please consider joining. You can even join the discussion forums anonymously if you prefer. Our online resources are here to help you and to remind you that you're not alone. While the TNBC Foundation normally makes every effort to meet with you in person, the past couple of years have forced us to make some adjustments for everyone's safety. But these challenges have also given way to some amazing new virtual programs. We now have three regularly scheduled online Zoom meetups for our TNBC community, Metastatic Mondays, Tuesdays with TNBC Friends, and Thriver Thursdays. These online support groups, which attract women living with TNBC as well as their caregivers, have allowed us to connect the community throughout the pandemic. And even now that things are getting back to normal, our Zoom meetups continue to offer incredible support to all of the people who join us monthly to connect, to share their experiences, and to build friendships. Um, you can sign up for our next meetups on tnbcfoundation.org. The information is right on the home page with the next Thriver Thursday meetup taking place tomorrow. We also have Zoom meetups scheduled for December 6th and December 12th. Again, participation is free and you can register right on our home page. And finally, we are planning a variety of programs surrounding the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium in December. For those of you who won't be able to attend the symposium in person, we'll be taking you along with us virtually so that you can learn about new and emerging TNBC research. If you follow us on Facebook or visit our website, you'll get regular updates and be able to register for these and all our other upcoming programs. In the meantime, we look forward to connecting with you on social media, by phone, or online at tnbcfoundation.org. So once again, thank you for joining us, and now I'll turn the program back to Dr. Messner. Oh, well, thank you so much, um, Mr. Newman. That was a superb presentation and just a wonderful resource for everybody on the call. So please do, many of you are already utilizing the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, but if you're not, please do. It's just a great resource um, for everybody. It's just amazing. 
and um, and it's the only specific one for triple negative breast cancer in the country. So it's just a, a wonderful resource. And our next speaker is Ms. Samantha Fortune, and Ms. Fortune is Women's Cancer Program Coordinator at Cancer Care, and she is also an oncology social worker. And Ms. Fortune will be addressing the long-distance caregivers and Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation's free helpline and services. It's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Fortune. Thank you, Dr. Messner. As mentioned, my name is Sam Fortune, and I'm the Women's Cancer Program Coordinator, as well as an oncology social worker at Cancer Care. My role includes working with both patients and caregivers impacted by a triple negative breast cancer diagnosis, as well as developing programs and initiatives for a women's cancer department. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care have partnered together to ensure those impacted by TNBC have access to free psychosocial services and support. There are many aspects of a cancer diagnosis that could be addressed through these psychosocial supportive services, including making informed decisions, quality of life concerns, clinical trials, fertility options, and communication with the medical team. The Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation has also generously funded the TMBC Helpline, which provides caller with access to comprehensive services. Some of the services that Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation provide include resource navigation services, counseling, education workshops like this one, publications, limited financial assistance, and virtual community programs for caregivers, including our upcoming shared decision-making series. By calling the TNBC helpline, individuals are connected to an oncology social worker who are aware of the physical, emotional, and practical challenges that may arise when a loved one is diagnosed with metastatic TNBC. Whether you're um, providing support independently with others or from far away, you can also, anyone can be considered a caregiver. Caregivers have their own unique sets of needs, and although you may not be the person diagnosed, you're living with the di disease every day. Long-distance caregivers in particular can still provide a significant amount of emotional support as well as social support for their loved ones by either phone, text, email, or video. You can also help your loved ones to explore additional support. So, for example, you can help arrange for other friends and family or people look by to drop a food, coordinate appointments, things of that nature. You can also um, find out local resources, including support groups or workshops for them to be able to attend. People diagnosed may often rely on their caregivers to for them to help them with some of the legwork that they deal with since they do not have the energy. And there are several tasks at that a long-distance caregiver can assist with, including making phone calls, coordinating appointments, um, like I mentioned earlier, coordinating transportation. And there are also several websites and phone applications that can be used to help you organize such tasks, including My Cancer Circle, CaringBridge, and MyLifeLine.org. My caregivers with um, Caregivers with, that are dealing with metastatic TMBC may also choose to supplement their existing social networks by joining a support group or engaging in counseling. Joining a support group in particular can offer the chance for TMBC caregivers to speak with one another, gather information, and provide support. Cancer Care offers a national online support group specifically for caregivers of TMBC patients, which are moderated by our oncology social workers. Such online support group aims to reduce the feelings of loneliness or anxiety, explore new ways of coping, increase feelings of empowerment, provide resources, and address ways to communicate with your loved ones. You can register for an online support group through cancercare.org by selecting Our Services, then Support Groups. Caregivers may also experience practical and financial concerns throughout their loved one's treatments, including appointments to tracks, bills to pay, and paperwork to manage. 
Understanding your loved one's insurance policies, benefits, and even financial options are also essential at this time. Such tasks can feel overwhelming and stressful. Please note that if you're encountering such hardships, there are organizations that may be able to help you, including professionals at the treatment center, such as a financial counselor, a social worker, or a patient navigator. Cancer Care also offers a resource navigation service, which is a short-term strength-based approach to help both patients and caregivers nestle. A trained specialist will work with the client in connecting them to resources, referrals, and financial assistance. If you're interested in learning more about the services that the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation and Cancer Care offers, I encourage you to call the TMBC helpline at 877-880-8622. Our oncology social workers can share any additional information that was discussed about our services and can also help direct you in exploring ways that you can connect with others, including our support groups and financial assistance resources. It has been such a pleasure to be part of this presentation today. Thank you for your attention, and I'll turn the workshop now back to Dr. Mester. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Fortune. That was really um, outstanding, and just also just providing additional resources um, and understanding for our um, participants, so thank you so much. And I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A as well. And now we, I'm going to ask um, Emma to bring all of our speakers on board, and we're going to take as many of your questions as possible. And Emma will explain to you how to queue up for questions. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, we will take questions from the web only. You may submit a question by clicking Ask a Question. So this question, I'm going to give this one to Dr. Mazzo. Um, one of the limitations to participate in a clinical trial at a major cancer center has been the requirement to go to the city where the trial is conducted. That can be very challenging from a financial perspective. It can also be challenging if a person has side effects and doesn't have a local place um, to go for help. Are these state limitations? Are there are these state limitations? Are there state limitations for trials? Thank you, Dr. Mesner. Uh, basically, because of the safety and the nature of clinical trials and because of this therapies are still under investigation, we, we try to keep those cases within the same city where the clinical trial is performed. And like I mentioned just a second ago, that's mostly related to safety. What I will tell my patients is usually in their region that they're cared for, talk to their doctors. It is frequent that close to different, you know, parts of the, of the U.S. we have uh, referral uh, places that have clinical trials opened, uh, and hopefully that patients can enroll on. Excellent. Um, and... Um... Dr. Fleischman, a question for you. Is it true a physician cannot do a second opinion using telemed for someone out of state? That depends upon what state you're in and what state the physician is in. There are some states now in the United States that have uh, joined into networks where if someone is uh, licensed in one state, they can see a patient and I receive uh, virtually um, uh, in that other state. There are other states that that is not possible. So you really need to check about the laws uh, within your state. I believe that anybody 
uh, if you're seeing somebody who's uh, affiliated with one of the larger cancer centers, there's someone there who will know the rules and be able to tell you if that's so or not. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you. And a question for Dr. Palos. Um, do you see a lot of caregiver burnout? Any tips? Great question. I do see a lot of burnout, but it depends. I, I think I've seen a, an increase in it recently because of everything that's been going on and the post effects of the COVID uh, pandemic. People uh, had even more responsibilities as the caregivers because it was so hard for them to um, go and travel to other places. It was very restricted. And the tips that I would give, I, I think one of the most important things to do is talk about it. I see so many caregivers try to be so stoic and hold back on doing any, you know, saying anything. Because I had one caregiver tell me, I'm not going to whine. I feel like I'm complaining. I don't want to bother anyone. Uh, I feel guilty if I walk away from the bed. I feel guilty if I ask someone else to come in. Don't, you, everyone, especially at this point of in our society, everyone needs time away and time to be alone. That's how you rejuvenate yourself. And that hopefully will help to minimize the risk of, of the burnout. It is a real thing. It is not an imaginary thing. It is not because you don't have enough resilience. Caregiver burnout actually exists, and it leads to physical and mental um, concerns. So take care of yourself. Do not feel guilty. And ask friends and family members to help. I know families are in different parts of the world now, too. If you can make friends with faith-based organizations or with your neighbors, you'd be surprised. If you reach out and ask someone for help, you'd be surprised how many people will say yes and immediately help you. So I hope that helps. Uh, again, I encourage anyone who may feel that they're getting close to uh, caregiver burnout, uh, call these support group lines, join a support group, or just, just talk to someone. You know, Just talk to someone. That's the most encouraging thing I can say to, to our caregivers on this call. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Paulos. And um, for, for Ms. Um, Fortune, uh, there are support groups for caregivers. I've been feeling very tired and overwhelmed taking care of my sister. If you could comment on that, um, Ms. Fortune. Yes. Um, we, um, Cancer Care and the Triple Negative Breast Cancer Foundation, we do have a support group directed specifically for caregivers and um, that are um, triple negative breast cancer patients. It's on our website at cancercare.org, and you can register um, that way. Um, we also have like a general caregiver group. So any group that you feel is going to be a good fit for you, I would encourage you to register. And I will say those groups are some of our most active groups. And because it is a big need, especially for caregivers, and as mentioned earlier, there, I think there's a lot of shame for people talking about um, their stressors and they don't want to burden everyone. So at least in this space, they feel comfortable with expressing their struggles with other caregivers who can understand them. Excellent. Thank you so much. And um, for Dr. Mazo, my wife has been vomiting a lot and feels nauseous. Um, because of it, she doesn't want to eat. How can I help her feel better? Are there medications or exercises that can help? Dr. Mazo, could you address this, please? Thank you for the question. I will say that in this situation, since I am not familiar with this uh, patient's clinical status and to see what kind of treatment they're taking, I will recommend going back to the doctor, you as a caregiver, telling them what you're concerned about to see exactly what the etiology of the nausea and the vomiting. It could be 
a medication side effect that could be easily fixed by adding the right medication. It could be something more serious, for example, something blocking her stomach and causing her not to, I mean, able to pass through the food. So I would recommend in this situation, you know, call the doctor that is seeing your wife uh, so she can get seen and address what's the cause for this. I'm sorry you're going through that. Excellent, and, and we're so sorry to hear this, but we hope that this recommendation of calling your doctor, perhaps do it right away, um, right after the call, and let them know. Um, and uh, this is true, uh, Dr. Mazo, for many side effects that people may have post uh, during their treatment, um, that there are often treatments available for managing side effects, but one does have to tell one's doctor right away about them. Is that correct? That's very true, Dr. Messner, and I will say every patient is different. So sometimes what med whatever medication works for, for one person might not work for the other. So I will say, yeah, as you um, pointed out, reach out to the physician that is caring for her so we can get her feeling better. Excellent. Well, I want to thank all of our um, participants. Wonderful presentation. I want to thank our speakers as well. I'm going to ask our speakers to just give some takeaways for today's program. I'm going to start with Dr. Mazo and I'm going to have each of you comment on um, uh, just a one-sentence takeaway. So Dr. Mazo, if you would like to go first. Thank you, Dr. Vesner. So keep fighting the good fight. We're full of hope and we as your doctors are, you know, share that hope with you. We are very encouraged by how science is moving and how new treatments are coming down the pipeline to help our patients. As a caregiver, don't forget to take care of yourself. Don't forget that in order for you to care for someone, you gotta care for you first. And a second, please get your vaccines, get your flu shot, get your COVID shot, so we avoid any potential complications from this disease. And Dr. Fleischman, do you want to go next? Yes, uh, actually, uh, two points. One about the uh, telehealth visits. Uh, please prepare and make use of them. They can be very helpful. And as far as the, reading your own records, please ask your provider for clarification. Thank you so much, Dr. Fleischman. And for um, uh, Dr. Palos? Uh, I, one message is be so hard on yourself as a caregiver. Celebrate the achievements that you make, uh, especially if you've been a long-term survivor. Um, we know that the roles and responsibilities fluctuate over the course of the treatments and uh, every diagnosis, everything else that's involved in the cancer experience. And the second thing to remember is a healthy caregiver will help make a more healthy patient down the road. And healthy is very variable, right? But happy, happiness, comfort, those are the types of things that can help a patient uh, feel more comfortable and happy in what they're going through. So uh, I hope that helps uh, our caregivers on this call. That's excellent. The concept of happiness will be an interesting workshop for us to do. Um, it's a wonderful term, actually. Do you want to say more about that, Dr. Um, Paulos? Well, I, what I believe is what I have seen with working with patients and families is that many times they get so lost in the moment to moment that they forget there's a lot of things to celebrate. And so what I like to try to help them recognize is, okay, you know, you made it here. Okay. You didn't get into traffic. That's a happy point. So happiness is going to kind of depend on your perspective. It doesn't always mean the whole world is going to, you know, be roses and sing happy 
songs and the sun is shining, but you can interpret your own happiness for you and your caregiver and your family. So that might be something that you all might want to discuss one evening or one afternoon. What is happiness to you? And that way you'll get an idea of different ways to celebrate um, the moments that you have of happiness. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And um, um, and Ms. Fortune? Um, I guess my main point is caregivers can be defined in so many ways, and it just just doesn't mean like you taking care of them, physical care of them day to day. You can be a caregiver if you are impacted by cancer, if you're help- and you, their, your role can expand outside of the day to day things. And I want to stress that you're not alone. Asking for help is not a weakness, and there's a lot of supportive services like the support group, counseling, things of that nature to help you along the way. So don't be afraid to ask for help. Excellent. Thank you so much. And I also want to let everybody know that um, that. We have another triple negative breast cancer program from the San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium on mm-hmm. December 20th. So please do stay tuned for that one. Um, so you'll be on that program as well. Um, and uh, register for it if you haven't already. And um, we look forward to having you back. Now I do want to comment on um, on just um, on our Q&A first of all. There were many more questions in Q that we were able to take. So I just want to comment on that. For those of you who still have questions, to ask, please, um, what we suggest is that for those of you who asked a question, for those who have a question yet to ask, and for those of you who are thinking of a question, please take those questions back to your treating healthcare team. And you can do that today if you want to, or tomorrow, but you want to do it soon if you have a really uh, important, all your questions are important. And um, let them know that you have a question um, and call them on the phone. Um, remember, it is a holiday season, so also questions often happen. Other questions can happen during the, uh, you know, during evenings and weekends and holidays. So be sure that you um, know from your healthcare team who you can call when you have a question, and ask your question that because remember your your healthcare team they know you the best. They have your healthcare records in front of them, and they're best able with the information that you've learned today. Um, when you ask your question, um, they'll be able to address it specifically to you what you need. That's really very important. And I certainly recommend that caregivers accompany, um, you know, their um, loved one for the appointment. And if your loved one allows you to be there with the doctor, that you can then be there as a second set of ears and to hear the question. And most importantly, we do not want anyone to leave this program feeling they're alone. We want you to now know that you're part of a community of support, and we are here to help all of you. So um, I guess I want to just thank you all for being on the call today. I thank you for your participation, and I want to wish you all a very fine day. Thank you all. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day.